Isaiah 55 tonight. Isaiah chapter 55. I said, we'll, we'll do prayer request at the end of service today. 55 has a couple of verses I've used a lot, so we'll actually get to look at them. Uh, two different ways you can look at 55 an invitation to receive the glory of the Lord's restoration or an everlasting covenant, kind of, both ways. So he starts it off in verses 1 and 2. We'll look at them to start with. It says, Ho, everyone that thirsts, come to ye to the waters. He that has no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfies not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delighteth in fatness. I like these first two verses because they're talking about food. <laughs> and, uh, so, but he, he starts off he, the, he, with the, that whole, so he, he's trying to get everybody's attention. It, it's an important announcement he's fixed to make or uh, a unique call. Uh, so uh, one Spurgeon said this, he said, Ho, this is the gospel note, short, significant appeal, urging you to be wise enough to attend to your own interest. Oh, the consciousness, con, con, condensation of God that he should, as it were, become a beggar to his own creature, the stoop from magnificent of his glory to cry ho to the foolish ungrateful men. So he's trying to get everybody's attention. And he starts off, he says, everyone that thirsteth and come ye to the water. So it's an invitation to everybody. Because one thing we all have in common is we thirst. Uh, it, it's, it, and you think everybody does. People thirst and they're searching for different things. And so he, he says here, he, he says, everybody that thirsteth come ye to the water. So it's an invitation to, to, to come. If you're, if you're not thirsty for what God, Lord can give us, uh, then we never come to his waters. But you, you think about think about the woman at the well, if you remember this, that story. Now, you have to look at that and understand who she was and what she was doing. The time that she got there is when nobody else would be there. Isn't it amazing how, how the Lord showed up in that? He's going to a place that Jews don't go. And he sends his disciples away so that he can speak to this woman. He knew she was going to be there. And so we all know what happens. She comes and, and she's amazed first that he's there talking to her. What's the one thing about this woman? Well, she's Samaritan. There you go. Remember, it says she'd been married how many times? Five times. And then Lord, so Jesus looks at him and says, and the man you're living with, you're not married to. So the reason she's at the well by herself that day is the shame of what she is and what she's doing. So it, it, if you look at it, so he starts to talk to her, and he starts to talk to her about the gift of living water. And so it's the same 
principle here. Uh, Isaiah's calling out to everybody, everybody that thirsts, come for the water. She's gone to the well because she's thirsty. But in her heart, if you look at her life, she was more thirsty for something to fulfill her life that she could not get with what she was doing because of the, the way her lifestyle was. And so it's that same thing. It's the same principle here. Everybody that thirsts. So think about this. Everybody we know thirsts after something. And, and so he's telling this. He says, come ye to the waters and he that hath no money. So when he looks at it, so he's, as he tells us this, the, the waters, one, one, one guy says, his name is Zimski. He says is a metaphor for the law and wisdom. You know, the world cannot exist without water. We can't exist without water. But what else can we really not exist without? Without God. But even those who deny God have to have wisdom. You have to have ability to think. Or knowledge, yeah. So he says that that metaphor here for the water is wisdom and and the law, and you think God gave us the law so that we could become closer to Him. And even though you know, you say, "Well, we're not under the law," but if you look, Jesus Jesus gave us commandments, didn't He? That one, we're supposed to love each other, and so we have. We're still under, sort of under the law. We're under basically the dispensation of grace. But he's gave us these things that we can become closer to him. But it takes that wisdom. And our wisdom comes from where? Yeah, from, from God. You, you think, we're made in the image of God. And so the image, the, that image that we have, God's given us the ability to have wisdom. Because, you know, you listen to all these scientists who say we're closely related to this. And we're closely related to that. But what's the one difference between us and animals? It's God, because we're made in His image, so therefore we have that wisdom. So is we're thirsting for wisdom. People thirst for something they desperately need. Our wisdom comes from God, but think about the world. Satan offers a false wisdom. If you ever listen to some of the things that, that science says is true, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? I mean, I was listening to one, and they were talking about we, you know, how life started. There was this this uh, it was on uh, this week past weekend, and this guy he travels all over the world and he sees the beautiful nature and everything. Well, he's in he he was in Iceland, all right. And he's standing beside this, this, this spring that's coming up by a uh, volcano. And there's this goo on the side of the pond there. And he says, just think, it's stuff like this is where we came from. And I'm thinking, okay, you, you know, you'll deny God lives, but you're going to say by happenstance, we come out of a puddle of ooze and became who we are. That takes a lot of faith. 
or stupidity. Yeah, there you go. So people are searching for the wisdom. Now, now you, you know, you think about this. The Bible tells us in Psalm 19, verse 8, it says the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. So the things that God give us helps us to, to understand this. Now, think about this. Now, he, he doesn't only just say come to the waters. It says he that has no money. So the wisdom and the, the grace that God gives us doesn't cost us anything. God offers it to us for free. But then he says more. He says, come and buy and eat. Yea, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. So God's given us this thing. He, he's calling people. He says, I'm going to give you water, but more than that. And it's not going to cost. I like how he put it, though. He says, come buy. Like, you've got to come purchase it. And you think about it. Salvation's offered, but is it forced upon us? Does God ever force it upon us? No. He offers it, and we have to accept it. But then he says, don't just take the water. Take more. And think about the blessings that God gives us. So this call is a call for salvation, but it's also a call for the blessing that God gives us. You know, uh, if just salvation and going to heaven would be enough, but is that all God gives us as his children? No, he gives us so much more. You, you think of the hard times and the bad things you go through. God's with us through all those. Yeah, he allows us to get up every morning. He doesn't, we're not promised that, but it's a blessing he gives us. And so he says, come and you can get these things. It's not going to cost you. You know, uh, if you look what he's talking, he says, come buy wine and milk without money. These were not cheap things. You know, you, you, a lot of people made their own wine and things, but and you, if you were lucky, you might have your own cow, but it wasn't something that everybody had, so it was an extra blessing. Now, and when he gets to, to verse 2, he, he goes a little further. He says, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? And the question would basically be, why do you spend money for that which isn't bread and your labor for wages that do not satisfy? So in his invitation, God's asking the people to ask themselves, why do I spend money on things that can't satisfy me? And, and see, God said, I'll give you things free. So why do we go after stuff that we know won't satisfy. That's a good reason. We, we, we chase after things just because everybody else has it. Why do people become addicted to things? They're searching for it. If you ever talk to addicts, they're always looking for something that they can't have. And so he says, why are you spending money? Why are you doing these things? You know, and, 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 and so it's a remarkable question he's asking. You know, your labor for that which does not satisfy. 
And so he, he then he says, Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight in its fatness. So one thing that he's comparing here is something people can understand. The idea of eating is something that we do for what? Why do we eat besides, you know, to live? You know, if you don't, if you don't eat, guess what? You'll starve death. You get sick. Yeah. So that's why I stay in the shape I'm at. I'm making sure I'm ready for the lean times. Yeah. Exactly. They're gonna go after somebody a lot skinnier. If they, you know. You think, I just flopped to the ground. That's my only defense. They're not going to carry me. So he, he tells them, he, he, he says, listen diligently unto me. So here, here he's got this, listen to how he, he's, he's got it divided out in this. He says, hearken or listen diligently unto me. So the satisfaction God promises doesn't come to those who don't want who don't listen. How many times have we missed blessings because we're not listening to him? So it, you think about that. I, I, that's been one, I think for me, a lot of times, that's one of my major problems. I, I see, I want, I want those things that don't satisfy instead of listening to what God tells me will. So he says, he says, listen. Now then second, he gives a second thing here. So he's asked you why you do these things. And he says, listen to me. And then he says, eat that which is good. So it re- requires some discernment. Notice what he, he did not say. He didn't say just eat, did he? So he said, eat that which is what? When you eat something, besides fall over your own feet, what does that do for you? It nourishes you. And think of this, you know, Jesus kept telling his disciples you had to eat him, and, and that's one thing they didn't understand. You know, they didn't want to be cannibals. But he would tell them it's because when you eat something, it becomes part of you. It sustains you, it becomes part of you. And so he said, we need to eat that which is good. So we're listening to God and we're taking the good things that he gives us and it becomes part of us. So you've got two. Now the third thing he says there is, listen, he says, eat that which is good and let your what? Your soul delight itself in the fatness. So he, he says basically the fatness would be the abundance. So if we listen, then we eat which is good, then we can enjoy what God's got for us. How many of you ever come to church, be honest with yourself, I'll go ahead and raise my hand, and you leave and go, I didn't get nothing out of that. You ever been in one of them services, everybody goes, man, that was the greatest service, and you're thinking, really? I didn't hear all of nothing I got out of it. Happens to me every Sunday. But, <laughs> but uh, and you, you think, and it, it, it's, it, it's not because it wasn't good. It's because we're not listening and we didn't come with the right attitude. So therefore, we're, we're not eating, we're not partaking of. And so we leave unsatisfied. So God says, listen to me 
partake of me and you will leave satisfied. And so that's that, that, that thing that we do no matter what it is. And so this is the call he's giving. Now he's giving this to the children of Israel, but you think this is more, not just a call to them, it's a call to everybody. And now he's going to go into the, the, a little different part of the invitation. It's an invitation to be wonderfully led. Listen to three through five. He says, incline your ears and come unto me here and your soul shall live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that do not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. So he starts off, he says, incline your ear, or basically say it again. You know, it's, a, it's the same thought process as the first two verses. And so you're listening. You know, he, he, he said first, you're going to do that, and your soul's going to delight. And so now... He, he's given us a little bit more. He says, not only will your soul delight, but here and your soul shall live. The benefit of giving God your ear is impressive if you think about it. Here's a promise that's more than just being happy, it's living. Now, Jesus said he came to give us life and give us what? Life that was what? More abundant. Now, a lot of people take that verse and try to apply the the Jesus is a magic genie to rub the lamp and oh you get all the wishes you want but is he saying life life more abundant is he saying life with more stuff or what what kind of life is he talking about an everlasting life and a life that's uh, worth living I guess that's the best way to put it do you have to have Stuff to make your life good? What makes your life good? What's the one thing that, that, is, that makes it good for you? That God's done for you? You know, we all have that. I'm just doing inner peace. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, you think, uh, uh, as Christians, we understand what he's talking about. So here, he, he, as he said this, he, he, he says, you'll, you'll have this and you'll have uh, life for your soul. Now, now, look, he said, he goes a little further. He says, behold, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. So what's an everlasting covenant has he made with us? You, you kind of nailed it a while ago. Salvation, everlasting life. You know, we let, we have an eternal life. So he says, I've made an everlasting covenant with you. It being an everlasting covenant, once you get it, that means it cannot be what? It cannot be removed or taken away. So it's a promise that he says. It, it's a promise then. It's a promise in the future. So it, it's one that's always there. Now, he, 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 he characterizes it by applying it to a certain individual. And he does that with, with David. Now, if you look at David's life, it's kind of strange when you think about that. Okay, David started out as a shepherd, right? 
He becomes a warrior. He becomes a king. Was David a perfect person? Because you think about it, you think about it. As a warrior, he killed people. As a king, we all know what happened on the rooftop. So he said, I'm going to give you a life like David's. I mean, you really want that. You know, that's not really, you think, well, gee, okay, Lord, why do you constantly compare? Now, what did he say about David? What did God say about David? A man after his own heart. Now, he had a man after his own heart, but then he puts a guy to death because he sleeps with his wife. But it goes to show you how loving God is. Because even though David messed up, he said he still have a he's a man after my own heart. He still has those, he, he loves me. You look at the Psalms that he wrote. Psalm 51 that he wrote after what happened with Bathsheba. That song, psalm of remorse. When, when David did something, he did it with all of his heart. When he messed up, he didn't mess up just a little bit. He messed up a lot. But when David repented, David repented with his whole heart. So that's why he says this. He says, and you think about this. Now, God made David king. He says, with the mercies of David in this verse, David did that. Don't you think, you know, you, you look at, at God, the mercy God gave David after his, his sins shows you how he loved, much he loved you. If, if my man after my own heart messes up that bad, and I still love him and use him. Think of the mercies he gives us when we're obedient to him. I think that's what's so awesome about God. I can make mistakes. I can have problems in my life. But he's always calling to me, offering me that wisdom, offering me that love. All I got to do, though, is listen to him and come back to him. And he forgives me. Now, is that a free reign to sin? Because if we're going to have that heart like David, then that sin is going to bother us. Uh, that, that's one thing one guy said. He said, well, he said, before you back, this is all you, you just got to get out of jail free card. You can go sin on you won't come back and repent. I said, no, a true Christian, the heart won't allow him to sin. Oh, we will because we're human. But it's, we should be looking for it. Because then you start wondering, if that's the way you are, is your heart really God's or is it yours if you just use God to make your conscience feel better? Well, I'll just go to church and ask for forgiveness. That's like Easter. We see some people once a year at the time. But if you say that, then you did use God. God's going to make you Oh, yeah. The most... The most miserable human being in the world is a Christian who's out of fellowship with God. I know I've been there. And it, it's horrible. So he, 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 he states that. He says, now this, he says, Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people. 
a leader, a commander to the people. That's my microphone. We figured that out the Sunday. I gotta get a new one. But so he says, I've given him as a witness. So he shows us that he's a witness in the relationship that God had with him. That it continued on. You know, he's a witness not to just the people, because even though David was popular, God still used him as a, as a leader. And so he's that witness. He says, I, I did. He says, behold. Now, he goes a little further with this. You know, he, he's the commander, and, and he's everything God wants him to be. And then he says, behold, thou shalt call a nation thou knowest not. So, you know, and nations do not know. He, he's basically saying this. He said, he, he's responding to them when they go into captivity here. He's reminding him, he says, you know, you're going to be in a nation that you don't know where you're going. The the children of Israel were dispersed. And you think about it. But they were still his chosen people. From the time they went into captivity until 1948 when they became a nation again. They were a people scattered abroad. They came back out of captivity, but they never became a nation and so, you know, and, and he says, Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, for the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified thee. And if you, if you look at that in today's sense, as we as Christians, you know, God uses us uh, to do what? What are we for him? To spread the gospel. You know, that's the one thing Jesus said to do. For us to go and to make disciples. Now, now, to do that, do you have to be, have a degree? Do you have to know scripture forward and backwards? How many of you can quote scripture? Anybody in here? I can say Jesus wept. I know it's in John. I don't really know where. I know John. Yeah. Yeah, that, that always amazes me. I, I was on a Bible drill team when I was uh, uh, basically a preteen. And boy, I remember I'd find them things, looking things up. And now, find the book of the Bible sometimes, there you go in front of the concordance. Look for that page. You know, and, but did, can God still use us? Yes, because what we're to be is, we're to show fruit. How are we known? How do you, how do you know somebody's a Christian? You think when you get saved, they just say, here's your membership card. Here we're giving you this ring so that everybody will know. But it, it's, one, it's the fruit you bear, and it's just, it's something about Christians that show. You know, it, it, it's, it should show in our life and just how we act. But there's just something about, you ever gone into a room and you just realize who's the Christian? I think the biggest way you can do that is go to a funeral. And the Lord agreed. (laughs) So, yeah. Let's look at verse 6 and 7. So here's an invitation to be forgiven. So he goes in different. Now notice he starts each one of these 
certain ways. He started the first one, say, ho, everyone that thirsts come. Then the next one, he starts with incline your ear. Now look at verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, if you've ever heard me preach, you've heard this verse before. I've used it many times. Now he says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So here he said, seek the Lord while he is near. So it's, it's basically a reminder. You know, you think throughout the Bible, he tells us to seek him. And, and so, you know, I like what one guy said this. He said, people by, are by nature ignorant of God. Now, do, you, do y'all agree with that or not? By nature, are we ignorant of God? You know, yeah, I think that would be better, is that we, we want to ignore him because we know that we're doing wrong. So he says here, though, he says, seek him while he's near. And and I think that's a reminder to us, too. You know, I've thought about that verse. I said, sometimes that verse is a reminder of us when we're in a relationship with God. How many of you have ever grown stagnant in your relationship? You go through the motions of being a, a Christian coming to church, doing so-and-so, just because it becomes habit. So, uh, you know, the Bible tells them two or more gathered in his name. He's in the midst of us. So I think it's a reminder for us when he says, seek him while he's near, that we ought to be really coming ready to find him, to experience him whenever we get together. Because it's easy to get burnt out. It's easy to get in a rut as a Christian. I mean, you, you think about that. We, we all do it. Because why? Because we have lives that we live. We have things going on. So sometimes we get to remind us to seek him while he's near. Seek him when we're close to him. You know, it, also, also, when you give an invitation, the Holy Spirit's working on it. Yeah. You're seeking him while he's near. Why did he be found? You won't find him. How many times have you ever done that? You know, I, when I get home, I, 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 what's bad for me, there's a lot of times I'm driving down the road and the Lord gives me an idea for a sermon. And I'll say, well, I'll write that down when I get to work. I need to stop, pull over on the side of the road because by the time I go about half mile down the road, it's done, gone. And I can't for the life of me to remember and there's times when God's called me, like you said, you know, in invitation time, and I should be like, okay, Lord, I'm going to respond, but I don't do it. So now he says, call upon him while he's near. So it, it, it's the, the, the same thing. Now look what he says there in the next verse. He says, let the wicked forsake his way. So here's a, a, a call, not just for the Christian, but forever, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his what? See, when I first read this verse, I said, oh, he's talking to the lost. But then when you get to the next part of the sentence, 
you have to backtrack just a little bit because listen to what he said. He says, let the wicked forsake his way, let the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. So this is not really a call so much for the lost as it is for the backslidden. If you look at it, how do we get backslidden? It's when we get out of the way. And you think about when Christians were first Christians, they weren't called Christians. It was called people who followed the way, which was the way of the Lord. And so when we we forsake his way and we start acting more like the world, we become unrighteous. Now notice what he said. He said the unrighteous man, his what? His thoughts. Because what keeps us away from God is when we quit thinking about him and think about everything else. So he's calling, he says, he's reminding us, when you're close to me, seek me, find me. Let's have a relationship because if not, you're going to get away from me and you're going to become unrighteous. But the great thing about God is what he say you could do. Return to him. So when I read that, I'm like, Lord, that's, that's a blessing right there because I know as for my own self, the times I've gotten away from him and when he has done me like that one lamb that he comes and gets. Now, when the shepherd had a lamb that kept running away, what did the shepherd do to that lamb? Break his leg. I've had my leg broke many times. I think I've had, I've had my legs and hands striped many times. That chastising rod of the Lord. But... I know what the Bible says about the ones he chastises. What does he do that for? That he loves us. So here's an invitation for us to return to him. You know, uh, let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So an abundant pardon is one that continues on. It's not just once. It's not just every once in a while. It's a continuous pardon. So he says, I'll continuously pardon you. Why? Why did he say this? He's talking to his people. So we're his. Now, you know, Jesus said this. He said, my sheep know my what? My voice. How do you know you're his is the way you know when he talks to you, when he's calling you. And there's been times where he's called me, man, I've been that little stubborn thing. I mean, holding on to the back of the pew or I'll get this right later. But God says, I'm pardoning you here. You need to come on. You need to seek me while, you, while I'm here. You know, I, I, there, there are some that, you know, some that said, yeah, this was for the lost, but the more I thought about it, it's not. And then he tells me why this is. Why does God love us so much? Look at verse 8. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, we've heard this this verse so many times, but you think about it, it's so true. God don't think the way we do. And I'm so glad that he don't. You know, he's had to show that to me many times when I have an idea how I want things to go and God said, "Eh -eh. this is how it's going to go. And his way is so much better. And, but he, he says, you know, that it, it, we can relate to his thoughts. We're made in his image and we can understand them. But sometimes we just can't grasp. Why, why God? How many of you ever done that? Why? Why? Lord, why did you allow this to happen? And these verses are reminders. My thoughts aren't yours. My ways aren't the way you would do it. You know, uh, you have to wonder sometimes how distant are the thoughts and the ways of God from us. Yeah. You know, we we see the here and now. And sometimes the things we have happen to us are for later. You know, that's like how many of you have ever asked God for something and he never seemed to want to answer it? And then later in life, you go, I'm so glad you didn't answer that. Yeah. Or maybe later. I mean, how many of you used to tell your kids, not right now, later? Yeah. Trent told us when he was young one day, and I, he asked to do something. And I said, not right now. He's, huh, you know what not right now means? We're like, what? Never. He said, I done figured y'all out. And we're like, okay, <laughs> we got to come up with a different saying. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, know, you, you think about how, how God does with that, and it, it's so different. Think about this. When someone does you wrong, do you forgive them? It's difficult for us to. Yeah. How yeah, how many of you've had to pray through bitterness at somebody? You know, God tells us to pray for our enemies. We're like, Lord, please let them get hit by a bus. You know, and you know Yeah. You know, uh, there there's been times Lord laid I've gone through things with God like I want you to and laid on your heart, I want you to pray blessings on them. You're like, but God. Yeah. Yeah, bless me. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, how many times do we do God wrong and he forgives us? So, you know, that, that's something we really have to look at when he says that. As he, then he gives us the, the comparison. He says, you know, I'm going to kind of show you how my thoughts are. As far as the, as the heavens are higher than the earth, that's the difference. And as not only that, as he goes in, he says, 
and my thoughts are not your thoughts. So he says this, that distance, you don't, you just don't understand it. But you love it because that's what he does for us. So as he gets into that, now look at verse 10 through 11. He, he tells us a little more. Now this is more about the word. He says, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and the bread to the eater. Now here's a verse we all have heard before. So shall the wor- my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things where I send it. Now we know that that verse, verse 11 there is the verse that the, the Gideons use. And when you combine it to verse 10, God gives you the, the picture of what his word can do. Did you think about it? He says, as the rain falls, we need it. How many times have you just sat there and just prayed, Lord, you know, during the summer, we pray for rain. You know, there have been times we've prayed for it. But a lot of times when it's raining, we're like, you know, you think rain, rain, go away. I think the other day we was on our way to church and G was in the back seat and it was raining and she's all the way to church singing that. And well, you know, God says as these things come and happen and, and, and nourish the earth, it's what my word does. Now, I want you to think about this. At the time Isaiah writes this, there was no Bible. They had some scrolls. They had the law, the Torah, they had those, but we didn't have like Isaiah, they didn't have all this, you know, and, and God saying, my word, and it's the most powerful thing there is. Have you ever been just reading and you come across a verse and God just like, just opens your eyes? You know, uh, Brother Donnie Thompson, that's why you know, his ministry was search the word. He always talked about golden nuggets. And one of the things he used to send out all the time were nuggets, verses. And has God ever laid a verse on your heart or given you a verse to give to somebody to help them through? So his word goes out and it doesn't come void. Back void. God says when it's sent out, there's a reason behind it. That's why sometimes a sermon might not affect you like it affects somebody else because that word is going to touch somebody. That's the awesome thing about God. Somebody, you know, I remember listening to a man the other day. He was sharing his testimony. And as he was sharing his testimony, he was talking about when he was a kid. And he had been a child, been a young man, went down, said a prayer. He said, did it because it made mama happy. And he says, he'll never forget, there was a, they went to a church where he's sitting in the back with all his friends. I shared this a while back. He's sitting back with all his friends. And the preacher said a verse. And that's the only thing he heard. He said, I can't tell you what the man preached. He said, but that verse got me. He said, that verse saved me. He said, when the invitation was given, he said, I'm thinking about that verse. I get up, my friends go, where you going? I went on down front. He says, I'll never forget. He said, that one verse. He said, I still don't know what the man preached on. He said, but the verse got me. 
And, and so his word goes out and it, it, it has a reason. That's why it's important for us to share it. Now, we, we can't, you know, like we said, ain't none of us there really remember verses. Friends, as you remember a few. But it's important to, to, to live the verses. Sometimes we're the only Bible that said that people see or read because of what we are. So that word goes out. And it, it, he, he gives this wonderful thing. You think about the rain he talks about. Without rain, there'd be no life. So without his word, it's, it's important. God's not all talk, but when he says something, well, what was that, uh, the commercial, the, the company, E.F. Hutton, y'all remember those commercials? Yeah, everybody stopped and listened to the same thing with God, so you know, when he says something, you better listen. And he, he tells us why. He says, so my word shall go forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things where I send it. Now, now notice what God says, where he sends it, and what he wants done to it. So that it prospers, it proves this, that God has a design in giving his word to his people. There was a reason why. It came to be. You think this book basically says the most best-selling book there's ever been. And people try to change it, but it always comes back to its form. You know, a couple of years ago, they tried to make a genderless Bible. That didn't last. I mean, how do you take God out of God? But it, it always comes back to its form. And, and the next thing it shows, it proves that whatsoever in his design in the giving of the gospel, it shall be accomplished. When people share the gospel, it's never spoken in vain and it accomplishes something. You know, sometimes we don't see it. But, you know, it, it happens. You know, uh, uh, I go, oh, I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm going to get through with this chapter before we leave. He says in verse 11, 12, 13, there's a joyful blessing and restoration. Listen to what he says. Ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and hills shall break before you unto singing, and the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, an everlasting sign that thou shalt not be cut off. So as he, he gives this, he closes this section here as he's talked about it. He's still kind of talking about his word. He's talking about the blessings he gives. And you think because of his word, we all got saved. If you, if you think about it, the word was shared and you, you accepted what God said. You know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. One of the greatest verses in the world and it means so much to us. Now, when you, he tells us this, he says, you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. 
without God and his word, without seeking him and finding him, there is no joy, there is no peace. So all these verses accumulate to verse 12 and 13. It's a reminder when you seek him, you find him, when you accepted that, when you thirsted for something and you found God, and then you inclined your ear and you came and you listened and your life became his, then he says, seek me so that you don't stray. And then he reminds us not only that, but I gave you my word that it can help you. It'll guide you. It won't go out useless. So that you can have this joy, you can have this peace. And, and then he says, I'm going to give you signs. And, he, and, and listen to what he says. He says, the mountains and the hills shall break forth unto you with singing. And all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. Isn't it amazing how when you accept God, how things look different? Now, things look great. Now, verse 13 is a, is, it, it, it's a promise that we don't think about. When Adam and Eve sinned and they were cursed, what happened to the Garden of Eden? It started dying. And you, you, you read they had to scratch out their existence with thorns and all these things. And so he says, instead of thorns shall come up fir trees and set of briars shall come up the myrtle tree and it shall be the, the Lord for a name. God says, I'm going to take those problems. I'm going to take the bad things out and you'll see the good stuff. Now, does that mean? Yeah. You know, they, they became allergic to oxygen just like the rest of us. It's slowly killing us one breath at a time. But he said, but I want you to think about something. As a child of God, do we, are we promised perfect things? A perfect life? No. But instead of focusing on the bad things as a child of God, what can we see? We see him, we see the good stuff too. You know, uh, you, you have a loved one who's sick. You, say, you, could, you could focus on nothing but the bad. But God will allow you to see the good, too. You know, uh, we've had prayer requests this week just enormously. I think I've talked to Shirley more this week than I normally do because everybody's calling with prayer requests. And they're not, you know, and everybody's sick. But you ever thought about that? One blessing we have is the fact we have the ability to make prayer requests. And as a church, that can draw us closer when we're praying for somebody. When we see the, the things that are happening to them. So I, 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 sometimes, sometimes...